Welcome ladies and gentlemen to Behind the Lodge Door on member-supported Restoration Radio. We are your hosts Dan and Damo. This episode is a members-only episode and is not available for individual purchase and download. However, to receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit truerestoration.org and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. Good afternoon to you, Damo. Good afternoon to you, Dan. It's good to be back on Behind the Lodge Door, episode four. Oh, is that what it is? Episode, oh, episode four. It's uh, Well, we did the zero episode as well, so it's kind of episode five, but not really because we don't call episode one episode one. We call it episode zero. No, that's right. It's Actually, the we, ground... We call, we call yeah. it the zero show, don't we? Yes. Uh, it, it's, you know, zero's hero, and it's like the ground floor of a lift, really, um, mm. and, or an elevator for, for our American listeners. That's a good way of putting it. Mm. Now, look, Dan, there's no point in going back over what we've already discussed in detail. We have discussed the first two chapters and the preface of Behind the Lodge Door, and those that are listening, they'll know where we're at. So Yes, but if you are recommended here by a friend, and mm-hmm. this is the first episode you've heard, mm-hmm. I strongly recommend go back and check out the Zero episode. That sets the tone for the whole series, really. But please, Damo, if you could just reiterate, what is it about? Right, well, Behind the Lodge Door is a, uh, is a book written by Mr Paul A. Fisher, which is specifically about... The Freemasons. More so in the United States. However, the contents of the book, you know, you can relate it to Freemasonry all around the globe. Uh, But the four key areas, and I'm taking this from the very back of the book, on the back cover, the four key areas that the book discusses is, number one, the religious education issue in the United States. Number two, the opposition to the Catholic Church. Number three, the moulding and directing of national political and social policy. And number four, how the Masons attract their members. Mm. So although the book doesn't really, you know, say, okay, chapter one is the religious education issue in the US, it it covers all these different uh, areas throughout the book, doesn't it really? Do you find that? Uh, Yes, and uh, what I would say, uh, Demo, is that um, this book, or the chapters three and four, which we're looking at at the moment, um, do tend to cover more the uh, second point very strongly about the opposition to the Catholic Church, especially as the subsection there is part two, target the church. That's it. So today we're talking about target the church. Well, fancy that. So Dan, here we are then, section two, so chapter three of the book, which is, of course, warring on the church. That's it. Now I'm just going to read the first paragraph to you, Dan. Hmm. A cursory review of the social climate at the time state and federal laws were enacted to deny aid to sectarian institutions, you know, the Catholic Church institutions, sadly discloses that those statutes really are musty memorials to appeasement of know-nothings who once ruled America. Now, Dan, I mean, Hmm. is that uh, this organisation called the know-nothings? Do you think that this is a self-appointed name, or do you think that's what they <laughs> someone referred to them as? Oh, and well, it just stuck? well, uh, I, <laughs> this I don't know because one of the things of that book is that it talks about the know nothings, but it doesn't really mention a lot of what the know nothings were. But I'm guessing it could have been a bit of a self-deprecating thing, maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. Are we really know nothing, or well, when we when we or when they're covering something up, or, I know nothing. Well, apparently. The Know Nothing Party was a political party, also known as the American Party, 
was a prominent United States political party during the late 1840s and the early 1850s. The American Party originated in 1849 and its members strongly opposed immigrants and followers of the Catholic Church. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, and I guess by extension that they definitely opposed Catholic immigrants. So you oppose the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, I oppose the Catholic Church. That's what I did. So what, what's the name of your political party? Well, we oppose the Catholic Church and we, we call ourselves the Know-Nothings. Hmm. Sounds like a party that really stands for something. <laughs> so if you oppose the Catholic Church, you really do. Know, <laughs> you really know nothing. I want to know nothing. Nothing. <laughs> now, one thing we haven't said, Dan, is uh, welcome to our listeners. Yes. And, welcome uh, to you all. Yes, and we... I'm not sure if you can hear that, but we have a raging wind outside at the moment, and I'm not sure if you can hear that, but, I mean, I've got the headphones on. I can hear it. Can you hear that, Dan? Um, I can hear the wind, yes, uh, Demo, but uh, I must mention that uh, we, we, look, we are in a hut at the moment. We're in a shack, so we do have to upgrade our premises a little bit. I hope it doesn't blow over. Um, Dan, this, this is my home. Oh, well, <laughs> yes, that's okay. Look, we're, we're not... <laughs> You know, we're not we're not all um, we're not all living in comfort in opulent comfort. You know, not like you, Dan. Well, that's right. Yes. Um, uh, what did you think? Let's get back to the topic. What mm. did you think of chapter? We're talking today about chapter three and four. Chapter three, warring on the church, as we said, and chapter four is um, the Ku Klux the, Klan, the craft and oh. the clan, the craft oh. and the clan. Yes, actually, uh, speaking of which, uh, Demo, I was actually very curious because I thought, why would you call an organisation the Ku Klux Klan? Mm. It sounds like a, a bit silly, right? Sounds sounds like something you might hear in a chicken shed. Ku or possibly Footscray Mark. Oh, I just laid an egg. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, if a Ku Klux Klansman laid an egg, what would it look like? Uh, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> Probably white and pointy, maybe. Hey, yeah. yes, yes, it's know. a funny-looking egg. But now, <laughs> apparently, the um, the the origins of the Ku Klux is the Ku Klux was supposed to be similar to a Greek word for the circle. Okay. Um, so, which is interesting. Hmm. Why is that interesting, Dan? Because why would you call your organisation the Circle Clan? <laughs> so here's a bit of information on it, Dan. A group including many former Confederate veterans founded the first branch of the Ku Klux Klan as a social club in Pulaski in Tennessee in 1866. The first two words of the organisation's name supposedly derived from the Greek word... Kyklos. Kyklos meaning circle, as you alluded to earlier. In the summer of 1867, local branches of the Klan met in a general organising convention and established what they called an invisible empire of the South. Ooh. Leading Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest was chosen as the first leader or Grand Wizard of the Klan. He presided over a hierarchy of grand dragons, grand titans, and grand cyclopses. All a bunch well, of grand idiots, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, they sound like computer game nerds before <laughs> their time, don't they? We've got some grand dragons and Everything's cyclopses. Just, it's just grand. It's all just grand. Oh, yes, well, especially in the Scottish right. Ooh, yes. So, Dan, yes. chapter three is, is called Warring on the Church. Yes. And chapter four, the craft and the clan, as we alluded to earlier. What, what did you think of well, chapters three and four? One thing chapter three does well is to inform the reader 
how much of an anti-Catholic environment existed at the time mm. in the US. So the standard propaganda was that hordes of treasonous Catholics who owed their allegiance to a foreign power, Vatican City, were engaged in a foreign takeover of the US and that they were a threat to the social order. Of course, papists was the term of abuse, much like racist is used today, but Chapter 4 covers Freemasonry's involvement in the KKK, which shows that there were many racist anti-papists. Mm, that's right. You could almost uh, you know, write a song about that. You could do a yeah. kind of a rap about it, couldn't well, you? Well, yeah, I, I think more with more of a British feel to it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm a racist. I'm a racist. I'm a racist. Anti-papers. Yeah, yeah that goes. Like that, British rap, innit? Yeah, it's a bit of all right, isn't it? All right, bro. It's a bit of all right. What you think about that? Oh, yes, I do. Oh. Anyway, sorry. Mm. I digress. Yes. <laughs> now, some of the 19th century material that's covered in Chapter 3 uh, has some of the greatest anti-Catholic insults so I've decided to cover the top ten. Oh, this, so, this, this, this sounds... Uh, mm. I'm just going to sit back and relax and um, in go the, from the top, Dan. Hit me from the top. Well, in the spirit of humility, I invite you all to sit back and be insulted. <laughs> so here it is. Ten. The powers of the ecclesiastical state were carnal, sensual and devilish. Oh, Projection, maybe. Mm. Uh, nine. The Church of Rome is the mother of harlots. Oh, Eight. Disseminators of sectarian doctrine... That's right, the Catholic Church were the sectarians, That's it. apparently. Seven, Catholics were trying to gain control of the nation's education system in order to subjugate America. More projection. Mm -hmm. Number six, the papacy was subversive to civil and religious liberty and destructive to the spiritual welfare of men. Mm. Number five, Catholics, no matter where they dwell, are considered lower in the state of mental cultivation and refinement than the Protestant and that their degradation was a result of having been deprived of the Bible by their priesthood. Oh, goodness me. Oh, yes. Number four, Catholicism is more dangerous than slavery because Catholics are subject in all things civil and ecclesiastical to the dictation of an absolute despot who has hitherto held all of Europe in subjection and now seeks similar authority over the American Republic. Mm -hmm. Three... Irish Catholics made themselves unpleasantly felt on the labour, religion, morals and above all the politics of the place. The temptation to do something that shall fix these Irish is too strong to be resisted. Oh, that sounds ominous. It does, doesn't it? I wonder what they're referring to. Mm -hmm. Number two, the Catholic Church keeps its members down to a definite level of ignorance. And number one, referred to Mexican Catholics as ignorant, mongrel, foreign-speaking, greasers, weak, stagnant, mentally childish, unproductive, rubbish, wretched and imbecile. I'm getting the feeling that they weren't popular. Mm, Catholics no. weren't popular in, in America. <laughs> um, oh, look, um, I think that is a slightly hostile kind of uh, language there. So you see, haters gonna hate, but that wasn't the worst of it. There were hoaxes, they mentioned in this chapter three, yeah. whereby Catholics were supposed to have sworn an oath to invade and undermine America. And many of these hoaxes were put out by the KKK. Mm -hmm. And also Catholic churches were burnt down. But some of the police and the courts turned a blind eye to these and other offences against Catholics. Right. So yeah. what did you get out of uh, Chapter 3, Damon? Very similar, Dan. In particular, a part to this chapter which is entitled The War Against Catholics Intensifies. Mm. And I'll just read the first part. At a meeting of the American Protestant Association in Philadelphia, where... Freemasonry began in um, oh, yes. in uh, in the United States on November the twenty second, eighteen forty two. Ninety four ministers representing twelve denominations signed a constitution which said the papacy was in its 
principles and tendencies subversive to civil and religious liberty and destructive to the spiritual welfare of men. It was agreed that the only way to combat this situation, you know, deal with these terrible, horrific Catholics, <laughs> was through United Church Action. Now, isn't there an organisation called the United Church? Uh, there is. There or is. Uniting Church. Well, there's, well, uniting is quite quite interesting because mm. it, it implies that they haven't quite united yet. <laughs> we're, we're on the way to uniting. No, no, we're <laughs> yes. on the way to being united. Mm. Yes, united, united against, to what? against Catholicism. Oh, yes. The members pledged further circulation of the Bible and anti-Catholic books to, quote, awaken the attention of the community to the dangers which threaten these United States from the assaults of Romanism. Oh, Romanism. Unquote. That's a new one. Mm. In such a combustible atmosphere, violence literally was only a stone's throw away. There's more to, to discuss on this point, Dan, but here's the interesting thing. We know... Well, we're Catholic, right? Mm. You're, you're a Catholic. I'm a Catholic, now, yes. I'm a Catholic. We know what Catholicism is all about. We just kind of want to get to heaven, don't we? Yes, yes, uh, yes. Well, uh, yes, we do, we do. And the fact that all you know, you read out those very important ten points earlier, and just with what I've read here, it sort of comes to your attention that they don't like us. They don't like Catholics. No, but um, it does seem that way. It seems mm, to bad, them, yeah, uncivil. It begs the question, though: Where does this animosity come from? Ah, oh, they're just jealous. <laughs> Well, I can't help but think about the time of the death of our Lord when the Jews said, let his blood be upon us and our children. Mm. So the legacy of the crucifixion, the killing of God, mm. um, still continues to this day in that they still dealing with the effects of that, in the persecution, the, the I guess the paranoia, the effects of having uh, committed such a terrible crime. I think that's very well put. You can't do what they did and believe that it's right. However, you can try and convince yourself that it's right. Mm. Or I'll, convince others maybe that, that other people have done it. That's correct. But the fact that they said, let his blood be upon us and our children, whilst we sit here and we go, what a terrible thing to say, and you are going to wear that from generation to generation. But mm. here's another angle. It is the blood of Christ. The fact that the blood of Christ is going to be the, the saving grace. Mm for the Jews at the end of the day. That is a very good way of putting it, actually, and I had not thought of that one before. Mm. It is the blood of Christ which saves nations and peoples. And, yes, it's saving uh, many Gentiles at the moment, but, of course, we know that the Jews are going to convert at the end of the day. That's true. We do know that's going to happen. But in the meantime, here we are talking about Behind the Lodge Door and the mm. warring against the Catholic Church. And just to go back to the book, it states here, in November 1844, three days of rioting took place in Philadelphia, during which a cannon was fired point-blank into St. Philip Neri Catholic Church. Wow. St. Michael's and St. Augustine's churches were burned, as were 30 Catholic homes. Official inquiry blamed the Papists. Oh, well, well look, they set fire to their own church. That's right, they? yeah. Well, I, they have a habit of doing that, don't they? Yeah, I've got this cannon out the back. I thought I'd have a bit of fun, so I just took it out the front of the church and went bang! <laughs> oh, yeah, we love that. blowing ourselves up. Yeah, well, you know, when you consider that the uh, the Catholics in America at the time were, mm. were really, really poor and that they struggled to rub together money enough to, to well, you know, to, to build churches and to maintain them, um, it certainly makes sense that one would uh, destroy their own churches. Uh, absolutely. In 1846, during the war with Mexico, Catholic soldiers were not only required to attend Protestant services, 
but were forced to listen to denunciations of their faith. Now, that's fair. That, well, that goes back to, well, I was going to say um, the First Amendment. Oh, yeah, yeah, First Amendment. First mm. Amendment is free speech. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and essentially separation of church and state. Really, that's what it's all about. Yes. That's what it's all about. Yeah, separation of church and state, the Masonic ideal. Mm. And I've noticed in recent times, Dan, there's a massive push in the States at the moment on separation of church and state. But it's just as bad here in Australia. Yes, I mean, we, we are the inheritors of a cultural tradition, which mm. uh, really is a, an Anglo-American Western cultural tradition, which is basically about free speech. Interestingly enough, these days, they don't even believe what they, uh, what they preach in regards to free speech. Uh, governments are being more authoritarian. They're cracking down on speech that they don't like. So uh, it's really the, the revolution has failed in a sense. Well, and the other thing too is that as Catholics, we don't even believe in free speech. It's no, not... that's the shocking thing. That's um, That'd be shocking for many people. Whoa, how can you not believe in free speech? But free speech itself is erroneous and obviously it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work and it allows, you know, that's why in America you can blaspheme and you can do it freely. Is that Does that make it right? Does that make it right that you can say whatever you want to say? Is that a good thing? No, um, because here's the thing. It comes from a, a place of naturalism. People say, well, you should be free to say whatever you like, you know, to blaspheme God, you know, because it's, it's the free exchange of ideas. Now, here's the thing. The West, before the influence of Freemasonry, used to be called Christendom. It was the propagation of the Church of Christ, in, and the Church and State were inseparable. The, the State was an extension of Catholic life, or an enforcer of, of Catholic morals and Catholic life. And so the, the very idea that one could uh, freely blaspheme uh, would just be so abhorrent um, to, to anyone prior to Freemasonry. And it's really come back, the pendulum has swung, because if you apply free speech for what most people believe it to be, then... This is why people are freely, you know, burning the flag in America, mm. stomping on it. I saw an article the other day where a school teacher in America was using uh, the flag to make a particular point in relation to free speech, and he put the flag on the floor and stood on it. Mm. Now, people have died under that flag during wartime for what they believe to be a good cause, and that's a whole other story. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, many men in America have laid down their lives for their country, hmm. and they did that under that flag. Yes. And so let's jump on it. Let's burn it. Yes. Does, yeah. it, does it make sense? And the other thing is that even the advocates for free speech, even the staunchest advocates say, well, you can't shout fire in a crowded room. It would be irresponsible. What is more irresponsible than blasphemy? Calling down upon the curse of God upon, upon the nation. Exactly. Now, in 1852, Pope Pius IX, like many world leaders, sent a block of marble as a gift to be installed in the Washington Monument, then under construction in the nation's capital. Now, a mob broke into the shed where the block was stored, security wasn't too good, obviously, no. and stole it. Probably left the back door open, I would say. <laughs> Allegedly, the papal gift was thrown into the Potomac River, although there is no record it had ever been found. Thank you for the gift, Holy Father. We're just going to throw it in the river. Yeah. In 1853, a naval petty officer was put in chains for refusing to attend Protestant worship. Similar incidents took place in public almshouses. Now, this is, you know, this I recall something, a personal experience, Dan. During my time in the Army... I started off as a soldier and then I went to the Royal Military College where you do an 18-month course and you get struck by lightning at the end of that 18 months and you become an officer. Hmm. 
Now, during the course of that training, that 18-month training, uh, I, I recall one particular day we were told that we had to attend on the Sunday an ecumenical church service. Oh, Now, okay. I'm Catholic. Yes. And, yeah, I wanted to do the right thing. So if you could not attend that particular church service on that Sunday, that ecumenical service, all you had to do was write a really basic letter to the, the commanding officer and explain why, and then you would be given a pardon, if you like. You didn't have to yes. attend. Now, I happened to be doing some training with some uh, some gents from Kuwait. Oh, yes. Okay, some Muslims. Mm. And, you know, they their English was not great, but every single one of them wrote a letter to the commanding officer saying, I am Muslim, and because I'm Muslim, I cannot attend. <laughs> okay, and they were all told, yeah, no, of course, oh, Muslim, oh. no, you don't have to attend. That's fine. Mm. Have a great day. I sent a letter to the, uh, the CO saying, Sir, I am a traditional Catholic. On Sundays, I attend a traditional Catholic Mass. As a result of that, I cannot attend an ecumenical meeting. It is against my faith. Mm. For me to attend, it is against my faith. And then I was pulled out of class and told, you will be going. Oh. I was told you're going. Oh. Well, that's that's um, different standards. Mm, well, and I it said, appears to me an unfavourable treatment of Catholics. Yes, well, I said to my officer commanding, you see, the commanding officer is the, the head of the college and the uh, OC, officer commanding, is the head of my company. He said to me, no, you will be attending. And I said, well, no, I won't be, sir. Mm. Mm. And this is this is what's classed as insubordination, you see, Ooh, okay. to yeah. disagree and, and not follow a command. Uh, and he said, well, you, you run the risk of being kicked out of the college. Okay. Can you believe that? That's incredible. And I said, sir, can you please speak to the CO, the commanding officer, and let him know that it is against my religious beliefs to attend an ecumenical meeting such as that, well, any ecumenical meeting. So he went and then he came back and pulled me out of class again and said, no, the CO is adamant you'll be attending. And I said, no, I won't. Mm. I said, I will not be attending. Uh, and I said, I'm not going to wow. kick the theological football around with you, sir. I said, but here's how it works. I said, you mess with my faith and you lose me. I said, you can yell and scream. You can give me ROPs. You can punish me. Do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, if you mess with my faith, you've lost me. And I said, I'm not going to be there on the Sunday. I'll take the charge. Thank you very much. Wow. And he didn't know. He didn't. Know. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah, well, he didn't know how to deal with that. So... He went and saw the, uh, the CEO, and then he came back and said, oh, I've spoken to the CEO, and he's, <laughs> he's, he's happy to let it go. And then he, he gave me a little pep talk. But it was a great opportunity. I said to him, you know what, sir? I said, I know persecution is a, is a big word. It's a, it's a strong word. Mm. I said, but that's what this is. You know, we have a bunch of Muslims that can put something on a scrap piece of paper and say, I am Muslim, I cannot go. Yet I, who are trying to stand by my faith, I'm told that I have to go. That's not right on every single level. And I said, we Catholics call it persecution. I said, I know it's a strong word, but you know what? We love it. <laughs> and there's a bit more to that story, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, okay. But essentially, it was a great little opportunity to stand up for the faith. It was, oh, I think anyone, anyone else yeah. would have done it, but it happens everywhere. We just simply don't realise it sometimes we can just keep going. Here's another one. In 1853, Archbishop Gaetano Bedini visited the United States en route to his post as papal nuncio in Brazil. Violence and bloodshed followed as he travelled to Boston, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, St. Louis and Wheeling. 
On Christmas Day 1853, an attempt was made on Lanuncio's life by a mob of 600. I think that my little experience pales into nothing compared to this. It's all the same, it's just the degree that differs. And that's very true because the, the standard pieties that they offer, the rules about the free speech and all this kind of stuff, they don't seem to apply to Catholics. No, and no. these incidents that we've been talking about were incited by the know-nothing speakers and anti-Catholic attacks in the press. I know nothing. But, you know, look at it for what it is. Catholics... They go to Mass, say their prayers, try and live good, virtuous lives. If they're abiding by their faith, they're doing corporal and spiritual works of mercy, living their lives, trying to bring their children up in the faith and get to heaven. So let's go and attack them because they just do so much damage to society. <laughs> yeah, that's right. On July the 4th, 1854, natives of Dorchester, Massachusetts, mm. celebrated the day by blowing up the Catholic Church of that city at 3 a.m., well, yeah, I oh, know. Yeah. Hey, what are you up to today, Dan? You, you got you got anything planned? I got nothing going on. I, I think I'm going to go and, I don't know, you know, maybe blow up a church or something like that. Well, <laughs> interesting that you mentioned that because um, many, uh, you know, many Muslim terrorists at the moment, they blow up things and they say Allahu Akbar and mm. all that while they're doing it. Mm. I wonder what the know-nothing said. I know nothing. This is what the know-nothing said. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, similar destruction of Catholic churches took place at Sydney, not Australia, no. and Massillon, Ohio, Brooklyn, and Sigourties, <laughs> New York. Sigourties, Sigourties, mm. New York, uh, Newark, Connecticut, and Galveston, Texas. Wasn't there a song, Galveston? I don't know. Galveston. Maybe it's before my time. Galveston. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't heard that one. Who was the dude that used to ride around on a horse with lights? Um, <laughs> what? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Galveston. 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 Anyway, during that same month, a Jesuit priest was tarred and feathered in Ellsworth, Maine. Tarred and feathered? I thought yeah. that was just a figure of speech. I didn't yeah. think anyone no, actually, actually did that. No, they actually really did it. They poured tar over them mm. and threw feathers on them. No, so, a bunch of uh, yeah. sadistic people. Yeah. What do you, you know, i tell you what, you know what we're going to do to you, mate? We're going to tar you and feather you. Well, that's, mm. yeah. Oh, that's pretty harsh. Well, see, there you go. There's the there's the Ku Klux Klan thing. It's all about the chicken. I think it comes back to... <laughs> <laughs> You know, all these feathers. Yeah. Anyway, on July the 8th, 1854... They would have hated the towering bit, though. Yeah, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> on the, uh, July the 8th, 1854, a Catholic church in Bath... A pretty clean city, that one. <laughs> yes. In the main. Sorry, Maine. In Bath, Maine, was burned to the ground after a man called the Archangel Gabriel... Lectured Delusional. in that city for two days against popery. Okay, let's hang on. Um, let's popery see. smells nice. Hi, <laughs> it's popery. Oh, yes. Hi, I'm the Angel Gabriel, and I'm going to lecture you uh, for two days against popery. Mm. Oh, come on, mate. You're <laughs> not really the Archangel Gabriel, are you? No, no. you're not. <laughs> uh, I think he wants, uh, he wants uh, institutionalising that guy. <laughs> On July the 10th, 1854, there was a riot between Americans and Irish at, oh. at Lawrence, Massachusetts, and several Catholic houses were completely gutted. 
Well, there you go. They didn't like the Irish at the time, the Irish. No, no they didn't, the hard-working Irish. Yeah. And five days later, the New York Daily Times reported on a know-nothing riot at Buffalo. I want to know nothing, nothing. But no one was killed. Oh, great. Well, I, I guess they got smacked in the head. They got smacked in the head yeah. so hard it was broken, it's but broken, um, but no one was but killed. they weren't killed. So mm. um, they were, yeah, I mean that's in, in 1859. A young student, William Wall, was expelled from school in Boston for refusing to read the Protestant version of the Bible and Ten Commandments. Upon his return to school, he was severely beaten for one half hour by the school headmaster. Wow. Yeah. Beaten half for half an hour. an hour. That's very sadistic. Yes. They've got problems. His name was McLaurin F. Cook who commented to the class and said this, quote, Here's a boy that refuses to repeat the Ten Commandments. I will whip him till he yields if it takes the whole afternoon, unquote. Mm. Now, after 30 minutes of such barbarity, the boy relented and did as he was directed. His father took the case to court, but the suit was dismissed by a no-nothing judge. Ah. Mm. And not nothing, nothing. <laughs> well, hang on, the, the, the Protestant version of the Ten Commandments, that's the one where they're out of sync, isn't it? That's the one mm. where they have like the um, the Fifth Commandment becomes the Sixth Commandment, the Sixth Commandment becomes the Seventh or something. Do you know, I've got it? to show my hand. I, I don't even know. Oh, okay. The only reason I know is I, that they taught it at primary school. They said, mm. these are the Ten Commandments. I'm like, oh, that's not right. You know, like the um, the Fifth Commandment is only your father and, and mother the uh, sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. I was like, that's not right. So did you, get, sick. did you get stuck into them? Did you have a go at them, the teachers, Dan? Uh, no, not really. You know, <laughs> just like, um, I, I said to my friend uh, Bradley at the time, I said, um, they've got the, the commandments out of sync. Mm, well, whatever you did work, because Bradley's now in the seminary. <laughs> uh, he is indeed. And, uh, you know, God bless him. Hopefully he uh, perseveres. Out of everything bad, supposedly, comes something good. Now, the political power of the know-nothings was so great that they claimed to control nearly half of the entire popular vote cast in the 1852 presidential election. The party carried municipal elections in Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York, San Francisco and New Orleans. I wonder how many Americans listening to this program have never heard of the know-nothings. Ah, uh, they may know nothing about them, as mm. as I didn't. But mm. um, if you say they they were controlling half of the um, or half of the people were affiliated mm. with no nothings, mm. that's pretty big party. That's like the Republicans or the Democrats. That's a, that's a huge force. It is, isn't it? And there's a huge force. Its prime objective is to oust Catholicism. That whole situation about the know nothings and mm. acts of terrorism, and I'm, I think it's fair to call these things acts of terrorism yep. against uh, against the Catholic Church, leads on to the next chapter, which is about the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. We should spend a bit of time on the Ku Klux Klan, shouldn't we? Because they're, they're rather a... They have an interesting history, don't they? Uh, yes, yes, they do. And, and of course, um, this is, you know, specifically relevant, I guess, for an American audience because they were quite influential... A lot of people know about the Ku Klux Klan as being um, anti-black, being a racist movement against black people and uh, committing acts of violence against them. But what a lot of people don't know is that um, they hated the church even more than they hated black people. Mm. They committed uh, acts of terrorism against Catholics. It seems to me that, although, you know, for, for obvious reasons, the media doesn't want to talk about their anti-Catholicism. No, that's true. And do you know... Around about 1925, how many KKK members do you think there were? Let's see. Let's assume that they were, what was it, the South, one, I don't know, like um, 100,000. 
Four million. Whoa! Yeah. Four million? Four million. I'm That's not, crazy. I'm not joking. There's some footage that you can find if you go online where they're parading through... Uh, I'm not sure whether it was Washington. It might have been Washington. Anyway, that's irrelevant. But they they were as far as the eye could see, all you know, dressed in white with their nice little pointy hats. Wow! Just amazing. But do you know how many sort of members of the KKK there are now in America? Um, well, there'd probably only be a few thousand, I imagine. Well, there there are different factions, you know. Okay. And I think they're trying to unite, but they're a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, I guess the KKK did its job really in you know in the early 20th century but i believe now there's around about three to four thousand okay well that, that's certainly a loss of influence and power yeah but i'm not surprised there's different factions mm-hmm. because when i bring up wikipedia Ooh. it says that their political ideology is neo-confederate White supremacy, white nationalism, nativism, anti-immigration, anti-communism, Christian terrorism, anti-Catholicism, anti-Semitism, homophobism, Christian identity, neo-fascism, neo-Nazism. And so with that many different uh, factions uh, Mm. or designators, I'm not surprised there's different factions. They're really kind of like a bunch of what we would call in Australia bogans. Yes, I see Mm. what you mean. Uh, Rednecks, Mm. yes. Well, I I, I heard one and I could... What's interesting, and this sort of ties in with the supposed free speech they have in America, which is a bit difficult to understand because if you go and pray in front of an abortion clinic Mm. in America, you're probably going to get locked up. But I saw some footage of the modern Ku Klux Klan dudes who you'd expect to, you know, they kind of look like a bunch of Hell's Angels, you know, the, the motorbike people. Yeah. And they've got the tats everywhere and the, the earrings and the long hair and the goatees and stuff and the leather jackets. They, they were actually parked outside some government building and they're all yelling out, white power, white power. <laughs> and all these people are walking past going, yeah, white power, white power. <laughs> this. Now, and this chat was on the microphone and I couldn't believe it. Now, this is not me saying this. I'm mm. just repeating what he said, okay? Yes. So I'm not... Uh, I'm <laughs> it's, not, not it's not you, it's, it's, it's the This group. is not <laughs> an endorsement. No. Okay, but he says, he gets into the loudspeaker and he said, I'm with the Ku Klux Klan. I hate niggers. I hate faggots. And I hate dirty scum sucking Jews. Whoa. And I thought, ooh. Oh, well. And then all, um, these, all these people on the other side of the street are going, white power, white power. Well, oh I, I was going to say, it's, it's interesting, the evolution of the uh, Ku Klux Klan. They've managed to leave Catholics off the list. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. But, so we don't have to fear those 3,000 people anymore. That's, well, that's fantastic. When I did some research on it, I just came to the conclusion that it served a purpose for a particular time. And then you have these... These guys over there now, they're kind of trying to hang on to the past. That's the way it seems. They don't yes. seem to be making a lot of progress. In fact, it's kind of a bit of a comedy show, really. But And they've all got different banners now. And, you know, they don't, they're don't. they not the traditional KKK with just the white cloak, so you can't tell them apart. They all seem to have different, you know, uh, different flags and pennants and different, you know, colours on their on their, their cloaks and all this sort of carry-on. So yeah. I don't think they're really a force now. It certainly appears that they're way. They're not very coherent. Well, again, they probably served a purpose at the time and their time is done, but you get these Klingons, <laughs> those yeah. who want to hang on to the past. Yes. You know, but anyway, they, it, it's, it's yeah. worth discussing. 
how the KKK and Freemasonry sort of, you know, works in together. Yes. Now, the, the KKK chapter, of course, is uh, probably more relevant to the United States. Of course, this book is uh, the United States. But, of course, mm. many people in the Western world are interested in U.S. politics and mm. U.S. history. And uh, definitely the Ku Klux Klan was, uh, was something unique to America, I think. Mm. Yes. Well, by the early 20th century, attacks on Catholics had waned, believe it or not, and did not resume until shortly after Jews and Freemasons were singled out as threats to the nation. Uh, It was firstly charged in congressional testimony that Jews were closely identified with Bolshevism and anarchism. Funny that. Mm. Then, almost simultaneously, history's most distorted plagiarism, here we go, the Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion. I've heard of that book. Mm. It's very entertaining. Yes, we mentioned that last uh, in the last episode. Purported to reveal how Jews and Freemasons were conspiring to overthrow Christian civilization as a prelude to joint world rule. Come on. They wouldn't be trying to rule the world, Dan. Well, everybody wants to rule the world, yeah. as someone once said, but <laughs> it's, it's only the Jews that are able to do it at the well, moment. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... But, is it happening? Is, you know, we should throw this out to our listeners to give us their feedback. What do you think? Well, it's actually very interesting. Uh, this is this is very topical because I had just finished reading a 600-page book uh, published last year, actually, written by a Jew himself called Tell the Truth and Shame the Devil. Mm. Now, he says... What, what, what prompted you to read that book? I was given a whole lot of politically incorrect books, uh, and I thought that one looked interesting, so I thought I'd... Uh, get into it but uh, it is 600 pages his writing is very um, kind of he darts from one thing to the other which I like that's kind of my style but yeah he says this the conclusion is clear Illuminism and Freemasonry are uninterruptedly linked to Marxism and Jewry and he puts a quote here Masonry is a Jewish institution whose history degrees charges passwords and explanations are Jewish from end to end Dr Isaac Wise the Israelite of America, 1866. Mm. The technical language, symbolism and rites of Freemasonry are full of Jewish ideas and terms. In the Scottish Rite, the dates on official documents are given according to the era and months of the Jewish calendar and use is made of the Hebraic alphabet. That's from the Jewish Encyclopedia, 1903. The Grand Lodge Masonry of the present day is wholly Jewish. Richard Carlyle, Manual of Freemasonry. Masonry is based on Judaism. Eliminate the teachings of Judaism from the Masonic ritual and what is left. The Jewish Tribune, New York, October the 28th, 1927. In fact, very soon after the alliance between Illuminism and Freemasonry was started in 1782, very soon after the Europe-wide emancipation of the Jews took place. Isn't that interesting? Mm. They said the freedom of the Jews in Europe, which were subject hitherto to close supervision and restrictions and all that. This ended after the alliance between Illuminism and Freemasonry. So this ended the political, it was legal, political and economic discrimination against Jews. So uh, there we go. Now, they mentioned the um, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. But one of the weaknesses of this book, I think, is that it described it as history's most distorted plagiarism and a forgery. Mm. But then goes on for like five pages to provide a litany of condemnation of them <laughs> without actually providing any relevance to the discussion of masonry or KKK. So he seems to be at, at pains, um, what's, what's the word, fulsomely so, mm. painfully so, to distance himself from a document that he's just quoted. And, and and then he never makes any link between that document, the condemnation, and any of the rest of the chapter. So he may as well have not even put that in there. 
Dan, on May the 8th, 1820, there appeared in The Times in London an article from a correspondent which called attention to a book called The Jewish Peril, Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion by Professor S. Nihilus. Mm. The correspondent called for an investigation of the book because it fostered, quote-unquote, indiscriminate anti-Semitism, rampant in Eastern Europe, unquote, and, quote, growing in France, England, and America, unquote. Fifteen months later, the Times Constantinople correspondent reported that the protocols which purported to evidence a Jewish Masonic conspiracy to destroy Christian civilization by a universal revolution which would usher in Jewish world rule were a plagiarism. Mm. The newspaper article clearly demonstrated that Niles's work was based largely on a book which was called Dialogue in Hell Between Machiavelli and Montesquieu or The Politics of Machiavelli in the 19th Century, unquote. Quite, quite a title for a book there. <laughs> they love their long titles back in those days. <laughs> the book, published at Brussels in Belgium in 1865, had been authored by a person identified on the title page as a contemporary, but actually it was Maurice Jolly, a Parisian lawyer and publicist who had been arrested by Napoleon III's police and sentenced to 18 months imprisonment. The book was a, quote, a very thinly veiled attack on the despotism of Napoleon III in the form of 26 dialogues divided into four parts, unquote. And mm. interestingly, the protocols attributed to Nihilus follow almost the identical order as the dialogues of Jolly. Now, Dan... Let's just say it was a plagiarism. Okay, mm. it was plagiarised. But for anyone that's read the protocols, one thing you cannot deny, most of what it discusses in relation to a Jewish utopia, a revolution, if you like, which ends up, the outcome is Jewish rule over the world. Well, it's happening. Mm. In many ways, it's happened. And I'm not going to go through them. I, I just I suggest uh, others get online and, and read through them. But as you're reading through, you'll be going, "Oh goodness, that's already happened." Oh, what? Look, oh, not what <laughs> they've done that to. It, yes. So okay, it's a plagiarism. But whoever originally wrote it, wherever it came from, don't know, don't care. But who you know. They were obviously very uh, in the know. They weren't yes. a know-nothing, were they? No. They they, they were a no. <laughs> I'm not a know-nothing, I'm a no. They were a no. And, and they, nothing, and they nothing. knew. I'm a no. They were knows who knew. <laughs> yes. There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown Unknowns, the ones we don't know, we don't know. Excuse me, but is this an unknown unknown? Uh, I'm not several unknowns, and I'm, I'm just wondering. I'm not this going. Is an I'm not going to say which it is. So yes, well, the, the book by the Russian mystic Sergei Nihilus was shown conclusively to be a plagiarism, so they say. Many people obviously insist on continuing the controversy, as is evidenced by approximately 100 books concerning the protocols, yes. pros and cons, in several languages listed in the card catalogue of the Library of Congress. So, look, fine. Yet plagiarism or not, don't know, don't care. Written by Nihilus, maybe, maybe not. Don't know, don't care. But read them mm. and you'll say... Goodness me, someone knew something. Yeah. Besides, the other thing is that um, there are 
plenty of materials, plenty of resources um, written even by Jews themselves who explain what they are doing. So, mm. um, you know, even if you don't believe the validity of the protocols, there are many other materials that are out there that um, say exactly the same thing. Um, it, it shouldn't be a shock to anyone to, to learn that um, the Jews want to control the world. Mm. And they'll use Freemasonry, the coup Klux Klan, communism, socialism, it all plugs into the same thing. Now, I might just take this opportunity, Dan. We had a, a listener who sent an email through, and we have mentioned that if uh, listeners want to send comments through, we'll, we'd be glad to read them. Oh, yes, They're definitely. Add value uh, to In fact, this is one of the, one of the uh, favourite segments it of, is, of mine, yes. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read this. I won't mention the individual's name, just uh, you know who you are. Yes. And we thank you for your input. The listener says, one needs to be able to learn from one's adversaries or enemies. I'd agree with that, Dan. Ah, yes. Yes. And he says, what do I mean? He says, when I have read papal documents condemning Freemasonry, what I think they are saying is Freemasonry is atheistic and even anarchistic and adverse to civil, but most especially church authority. So that is why it is condemned and prohibited to Catholics. Mm. And I would, yeah, I would say that is that is correct, Dan. I mean, Freemasonry is, well, it's atheistic in as much as um, it doesn't recognise Christ as God, but it does have its own God. Yes, that, uh, is, that is certainly true. You know, it's grand architect of the universe. Which I, I think it's atheistic in the sense that it promotes atheism for mm, in, in Christian societies. Mm. And as we spoke about in the last show, they they get around not having atheists. In the uh, sorry, they get around having because you know the Freemasons say you can't become a Freemason unless you have you believe in God, the God of your choice. Mm. And then we say, well, but you've got atheists in there. Oh yes, but we we accept smart atheists. That's right. Well, no, because the requirement says we don't accept stupid atheists. (laughs) And so they say, well, actually, we've got smart atheists. So, yeah. which, you know, which is a bit of a smart response. Yes, I guess there so. There you go. Uh, and, and in terms of anarchistic, I, I believe that to be true. You, you, we, we spoke about the ceremony that takes place when you hit around the 30th degree of Freemasonry, where uh, you know part of the ceremony is that the individual being inducted takes to a... Uh, there's a skull with the tiara on it, papal tiara, and, and just starts hammering or, or, or yeah. I should say stabbing away at that down with the papacy then moves to the uh, the monarch's crown down with the monarchy down with the crown and then moves across to the laurel wreath and bows before it one thing I, I did fail to mention in our last show when we spoke about this mm. was what does the laurel wreath actually represent now I did say that if you go back to the the old Roman day, the the days of the the Caesars, you know, and of course, what did they wear on their heads? The the laurel wreath, wreath, yes, which was a was actually a symbol of uh, of their deity mm. because they believed that they were a living god. They believe, mm. you know, and they were worshipped as god. Mm. And so, when the Masons bow down before the laurel wreath. That's the that's the God uh, that's the cult of man. Man that's as God. Man as yeah. God. Mm. So that's why they bow down towards that because man has made himself God. 
you see. And that's yes. that's the ultimate authority. Interesting. For these so they worship naturalism. That's yes. naturalism, humanism, you know, basically just, you know... Putting read, man in place of God. Read any of uh, Bergoglio's exhortations or whatever he wants to call them on, you know, mm. on the environment or whatever. In fact, go right back to his very first one, which was called Evangelii Gaudium, okay? And that should be enough. The very first exhortation that he produced way back in... Well, someone probably produced it for him and he probably <laughs> just signed it. But way back in March, April, thereabouts, 2013, that should be enough for anyone that wants to maintain the Catholic faith to say this man is in no way the vicar of Christ. But that's another story. So, but moving on, the listener says, in my own albeit limited study of Freemasonry, I do not think that is entirely accurate. Freemasonry is really a cult of Lucifer based ultimately upon the mystery religions of the Greeks, but ultimately the Egyptians. In other words, it is an occult society whose God is Satan and wears in one age, the mask of rationalism and atheism, which is what the popes reacted to. And in another, your friendly neighbourhood fraternal organisation, the Elks, with funny symbols and handshakes. And the enemies to learn from? Question mark. He says, I was referring to evangelicals like Chris Pinto, whose many documentaries go in-depth into this. Although, of course, he's a staunch anti-Catholic as well. Who do Catholics have, he says? Whatever Venari and Solza have put out. <laughs> Venari and Solza. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, well, you know, this, this listener's obviously a comedian as well. <laughs> Goodness me. Yeah, well, let's, let's oh. forget Venari and, and Solza. Uh, let's, let's talk about those who, uh, who maintain true, you know, the, the true Catholic faith. Who do Catholics have? Well, he just said that the Pope's reacted to Freemasonry. Obviously, we've got the Pope's to condemn it. Mm -hmm. We have these great encyclicals, uh, starting from 1738 by uh, Pope Clement the Twelfth. Yes, and many popes since then, at least a dozen, have also spoken uh, outwardly. That's right. Now, look, you know, just because you're not putting out YouTube videos anymore, doesn't mean you, you know, you're not relevant. Well, do you think Pope Leo the Thirteenth would have put out a YouTube on? Anti-Freemasonry? Um, he might have if he'd been around today, but mm. um, but um, but he hadn't, and his encyclical still stands. Oh, could as you strong as ever, as ever. Imagine Pope Pius X putting a, a YouTube out against modernism. Oh. I uh, I could actually. Um, it would it would uh, it would go viral, as they say. <laughs> it would it would absolutely it would all Catholics would be able to kind of rally behind it, and it would get so it would be so powerful. Um, well, it, you know what? It, but it wouldn't exist. Do you know why? Why is that? Because if Pope Pius X was alive today, there wouldn't be such a thing as modernism. Modernism? No, there wouldn't be. Modernism no. in the church? No, he was... He was Because he would have nailed every single one of them. And we could have gone yes. out and done what he asked us to do, which was, you know, they should be beaten with fists. Yes. Mm. Yes, we can do that. We well, can arrange that. Well, my take on that is I'd like to beat them with their own fists. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I see what you mean. Mm, we, yes. used to, we used to have a saying in the army, if you, if you don't do the right thing, I'm... I'm going to rip your arms off, mm. shove them in your ears, mm. and ride you around like a motorbike. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. we could just rip the arms off yeah. and just start beating them around their own heads with their own fists. That sounds uh, that sounds wonderfully sadistic, though. Mm. That's uh, very good. Maybe not totally um, 
Catholic to do it with their fists, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting point. I mean, uh, I don't know. We'd have maybe have to get some tips from ISIS on how to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, mm. But look, so he has uh, asked, "What are our thoughts?" Well, first of all, thank you very much for the input. We really appreciate yes, that. Yes, thank you. And I would agree with with what has been stated there. In the main, the, the church has spoken. Rome has spoken on Freemasonry. Go back and, and read Pope Leo the Thirteenth, Clement the Twelfth, and many in between and afterwards. Uh, we have canon law. Yes, we have the Code of Canon Law twenty three thirty. The code, I believe, it's twenty three thirty five, from the the True Code, not this nineteen eighty three trash. No. Uh, which, again, you, you know, speak to Solzer. He'll tell you about the 1983 Code of Canon Law because that's his Code of Canon Law. <laughs> Whereas yeah. the true Catholic Code of Canon Law is, of course, the 1917, 1918 Code of Canon Law. Uh, I believe it's Code 2335, which clearly states that if you have anything to do with Freemasonry, you are excommunicated. You're out of here. Ipso facto. Yes. Venari, Solzer, all these wannabe self-proclaimed Theological no nothings. Oh, no, no nothings. nothings. Yes. <laughs> they should just stick with their tax lawyer work and, you know, whatever else they do. <laughs> yes. Financial planning, whatever, and just keep their head out of it. Um, and in fact, maybe. Actually, just, Cisco and Solza do, does sound like a good financial planning firm. I Cisco think. and Solza sounds like a, I don't know, sounds like a queer band or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. All we need to know, as as uh, as true Catholics, we need to know that it's condemned by the Catholic Church. That's all we need to know. Mm. We don't really need to know why. It, okay, if, if you know, if we want to know why, we can read those encyclicals and find out why. What we know is that it is the antithesis of Catholicism. Yes, they hate Christ, so they hate us. They hate everything that we stand for. Simple as that. It doesn't. We, you really don't need to expand on it. Uh, you know, they take these oaths, blind oaths, not knowing what they could be asked to do, but they they pledge an oath to say, well, we'll do it anyway. Okay? Now, if you want to know about that, a bit more about that, that's when you can go and ask Solza, because Solza is supposedly an ex-32nd degree Freemason. Ah. Yeah, well, mm. but, you know, really? <laughs> My, well... I would say that um, he either never was or he still is. I'll leave it at that. Listeners, we would like to remind you that you are listening to Episode 4 on Behind the Lodge Door series on member-supported Restoration Radio. We are your hosts, Dan. And Damo. And today we've been discussing Freemasonry on Episode 4 of Behind the Lodge Door. Now, Dan, can you hear that wind out there? Yes, it's um, very windy. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Oh, hang on. How's it going, oh, guys? Oh, it's Jimmy. Jimmy. G'day, hey, Jimmy. How, how you going? going? Oh, yeah, good. good. That's it. Yeah, Lovely. We're, we're just having a bit of a discussion today about, uh, actually, about Freemasonry and um, and the Ku Klux Klan, aren't oh, we, yeah. Dan? That yes, that's right, and and the know-nothings. Mm, that's right. Yeah. We've discussed the know-nothings, yes. So uh, what do you know about the know-nothings? The know-nothings? Yeah. Yeah. What do you know, Jimmy? Nothing. Ah, oh, okay. Okay. All right, well, thanks for that. No worries. Thanks, it's really yeah. nice of you to pop in again, mate. We appreciate yeah. that. Good to see you guys. Yeah, no worries. We'll see you Cheers. again next time. Yeah. God bless. Take, Take care, mate. God Cheers. bless. Now, Dan, just want to break track. You recall we had a caller a couple of episodes ago. I think it was Newton from Bruton in That's Al- right. Alabama. Yes, I yeah, remember quite, Newton from Bruton. Quite a character. We've actually got someone else on the line now, uh, but I'm looking at the name and I'm not sure... 
if our producer has put this through correctly, but I yeah. think we might just go to the caller and just see what they've got to say. Well, it's 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 popped up on the computer. It's okay. um, Rukmi Himanjani Wapala Wapala Petharen Halaji Anarada Chatharanga Wikmemaniaki Wikmemaniaki Mudi and Salagi from Sigiria in Sri Lanka. Okay. All right. Well, uh, should, well, should we put them through? I think so. Okay. So, um, all right. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, patch them through. That's fine. Okay. Uh, yes, yes. Wait. Okay. Yep. Here we go. And patching it through now. Hello, this is Damo from Behind the Lodge Door. With whom am I speaking? Oh, hello. Hello, Damo. Hello. Uh, greetings, good and most esteemed sirs. Uh, you are speaking to Rukmi Himanjani Wipole Wipole Petarena Halaji Anarada Chatharanga Wikmemaniaki Wikmemaniaki Murian Salagi. Okay, thank you, ma'am. I didn't quite catch your name. My name, my name is Rukmi Imajani Wapole Wapole Petarene Halaji Anarada Chaturanga Wikmamaniaki Wikmamaniaki Murian Salagi. Do you have a, a, a nickname, perhaps, madam? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Uh, you may call me Rukmi Himajani Wapole Wapole Petarene Halaji. Any chance we could just shorten that a little bit? Do you have like a, a pet name, for instance? Um, some people call me Sue. Okay, Sue. Uh, uh, what would you like to tell us, Sue? I, I, I'm wanting to tell you, every month, myself and my villagers do the needful and be dutifully listening to your godly podcast. Well, thank you for that. We appreciate you listening in. Yes, uh, unfortunately, internet is very slow in my village. My husband, Anarada Chathawanga Rikmamaniaki Wikmamaniaki Mudian Salagi Rukmi Himanjani Wapole Wapole Petharina Halaji third. Turns on the computer before he will milking the cow very early in the morning. When the sun expiring at the end of the day, we gather together for a good old British tea and scones and we have a behind the lodge door party. Excellent. Now, do you have, uh, do you hear us, do you get Wi-Fi or do you have like a national broadband set up over there, Sue? It, it is very difficult. It is, it, it is very difficult. Uh, we have the... The, the satellite, uh, but the, the satellite signal is powered by pedal. <laughs> okay, and who's on the bike today, Sue? Well, that is my son, Chataranga Wikmamaniaki Anarada Mudian Salagi Rukmi Himajani Wikmaniaki. Excellent. Well, he's doing a good job, uh, and we, we're very pleased that you're listening in to Behind the Lodge Door. Well, thanking you, sir. I have learned so much about lodge doors in the meantime. Can you please be asking me if I may be coming to Australia to start a door business? I would very much like to be coming to the Australia. One thousand kindness and regards. May the Lord give you plenty blessings. Well, <laughs> thank you, Sue. And uh, look, by all means, if you would like to start a, a door business here in Australia, I'm sure we can work something out. But I'm not sure if you're actually understanding the tone of, of the series that we've produ been producing. But... You know, again, thank you, and we hope that you learn something from it. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I want to say my best of the warm greetings from the Anurada Chathawenga Wikmamaniaki Wikmamaniaki Moody and Salagi family. Well, thank you, Sue, and we wish you and uh, your family all the very best too. Thanks for calling. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sue. Bye. Goodbye. Well, Dan, it's always nice to hear from international listeners, isn't it? It's great. I never would have thought we'd uh, get as far as uh, Sri Lanka, but it just shows mm. you the power of the internet. It really is an, an amazing thing. And look, okay, they 
they may be working off pedal power, but the message is getting through. It certainly is, mm. and, and I certainly appreciate the lengths that some people will go to to subscribe to, uh, you know, to, to our podcast. So what's your excuse? <laughs> Dan, talking about the Ku Klux Klan and Freemasonry, uh, in 1924, an editorial in the Scottish Lat <laughs> New Age magazine said that the right holds, and I quote, no brief for or against any organisation outside of the Scottish Lat, unquote, mm. and added the following observation. If Freemasonry follows the tradition, if Freemasonry follows the traditions of centuries, it Quote, cannot dictate to any Mason what shall or shall not be his affiliations outside of the lodge, unquote. Now, the reason I bring this up is because the Ku Klux Klan had many, many members that were, were Masons. Uh, and so this is uh, the, the, the Masons essentially saying that they give credence to the Ku Klux Klan you can become a member. We, we wash. It's no problem for us. We're not going to say that you should or you shouldn't become a member, which is as good as saying you can become a member, <laughs> and that's fine. Yes. Um, uh, an article in the same publication commented, although most decent citizens were outraged by the Klan's rampant bigotry, none of the Crafts Grand Lodges had taken official action in regard to the Klan. On the contrary... Nationally, attacks on masonry in Italy fired the Klan to renewed action and increased its membership. And look, this history strongly indicates that the Klan was a Masonic front group. Certainly, the Klan's venomous war on Catholics was in keeping with a long tradition generally associated with the Masonic fraternity. Mm. Let's talk about the Klan in action, Dan. Let's, let's get into some, some meat here. Yes. In his article in The Nation... Uh, Charles Sweeney listed some of the terrorism and murders attributed to the Klan. Now, here's one. A sheriff in Waco, Texas, who stopped a parade of masked men and demanded the names of the marchers, was shot and removed from office in proceedings, sponsored by the most influential citizens of his country. In Birmingham, Alabama, a Klansman who had killed a Catholic priest in cold blood on his own doorstep... Whoa was acquitted at the trial amidst the plaudits of the mob. Mm. In Atlanta, Georgia, members of the Board of Education received letters threatening their lives when they hesitated to consider a resolution to dismiss all Catholic public school teachers. In Naperville, Illinois, a Catholic church was destroyed by fire two hours after a monster midnight clan initiation in the neighbourhood. And Imperial Wizard Simmons made clear that the Klan had given the world the open Bible, the little red schoolhouse, if you please, the great public school system. The Klan is pretty much famous for being uh, anti-black. That's, mm. Isn't it really? When, when you talk well, to people, that's yeah. what they think, don't they? That's right. If you mention the Klan, they associate that with um, you know violence against black people. That's right. But they don't associated with um, anti-Catholicism. We need to understand that the Freemasons and the Klan did work hand in hand to ensure, to the best of their ability, that no Catholic was ever in office. Yes, um, that is very interesting, Damo. And, and I guess the, the um, other thing to take from that is that at the end of the day, the Ku Klux Klan were a uh, terrorist organisation. They committed acts of terrorism. The Freemasons supported the Klan... So therefore, the Freemasons were supporters of terrorism. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if nothing else, if you are a non-Catholic, maybe listening to this, and you don't necessarily care about the Freemasons' you know, condemnations or, or treatment, ill treatment of the Catholic faith, um, then you should at least care that the Freemasons supported terrorism. Now, cathophobia, oh, yes. is, is that a morbid fear of people whose name's Kath? Or, uh, you know, yeah. Catherine? Yeah. I've got yeah. cathophobia. <laughs> or uh, I believe it's a morbid fear and hatred of the Catholic Church. Was mm. rapidly spreading across the nation. And in November 1923, for example, Lau Mellet, Lowell Mellet, what a name. Lowell Mellet. His parents didn't love him. (laughs) A nationally prominent journalist writing in the prestigious Atlantic Monthly magazine recalled stories circulated during his boyhood in Indiana which alleged that Catholic youths were trained to seize the whole country. Ah, mm. yes, oh, the old... Mm. This is in 1923, he's writing this. Mm. Isn't that when Prohibition took place? Was that around 1923? Uh, yes, it was. It was in the 20s, yes. Well, see, we know that Catholics definitely weren't in charge of America in, 19, in the 1920s, don't we? Because <laughs> if the Catholics were in charge, Prohibition would never have taken no. place. <laughs> no, no, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good point. Uh, Prohibition was definitely a Protestant thing. Mm. Mm. The same stories were rampant, he said, when he returned to his hometown 30 years later. He was taught that Catholic youth <laughs> was uh, taught to seize the whole country. And obviously after 30 years, that was still the case. They were still teaching them. They were propagandising with, with that garbage. Yes. Mallet, Mallet said the Klan was charged with being opposed to Jews, Negroes and Catholics. Mm. However, he had heard little concerning Jews and Negroes. And this is ah, what we were talking about before. Yes. But heard much more concerning the Catholics. He added, very clearly, the crux of the Klan problem in Indiana is the Catholic Church. Yes. You know, so yeah. it doesn't seem to matter how much we slice it mm. and we dice it. Mm. This organisation certainly appears to be, to some extent, a front for Freemasonry. And at the very least, Dan, would it be fair to say pushing the Freemasonic agenda? It's like the storefront for the Masons, isn't it? They're pushing the whole anti-Catholic ethos, almost as if they're the puppets and the Masons are the puppeteers. Well, I think so. When you consider that uh, most of the clan members probably weren't completely bright, or that mm. all that bright, and uh, so you would imagine that the uh, the Ku Klux Klan are the almost like the paramilitaries for the activities that the the Masons don't want to get their hands mm. dirty, so they they pass it on to the um, the clansmen. Mm, yeah, here's another interesting angle. This this chap Mallet, this journalist, mm. um, he's he had old friends who he characterised as just some of the best citizens in Indiana. And they were, of course, Klansmen. They joined, he said, because they believed the Vatican is soon to be moved to Washington, D.C. And because they opposed the fixed policy of the church to keep its members down to a definite level of ignorance. Yes. Um, the, the, what, the, the Vatican's going to be moved to Washington, D.C.? <laughs> or is it Washington, D.C. to the Vatican? <laughs> what makes you think that they want to uh, headquarter the, the Catholic Church in, um, in the U.S.? Yeah, just, just some mm. sort of, that's, there's that morbid fear, I suppose. And yeah, <laughs> One of the most serious charges against the Church, he remarked, is that it is endeavouring to obtain control of the public schools. This gets to the heart of the matter that we have been sort of banging on about a little bit, which is the education system, secularising the education system. It is clearly evident, it was clearly evident then, and it is clearly evident now that it is a requirement of the Zionist agenda to take over the, the school system. 
Yes, uh, yes it is indeed. And about the school system, I think mm. one of the interesting things that they mentioned in this book, on one hand uh, there were those Catholics who said it wasn't fair that the government were withholding money from Catholic groups which were providing exactly the same and sometimes more educational services than the Protestant groups. So there was that issue of inequity of government funding. However, other Catholics, like in Australia, Melbourne's Bishop Daniel Mannix at the time, were of the view that Catholic institutions should not be seeking government money mm. as this will inevitably compromise their integrity. Absolutely. Now, I can see both sides of that argument, but uh, I tend to side with the latter. I um, think um, they should not be seeking government money. Now, an interesting fact, that because we mentioned Melbourne, interesting fact is that uh, in the Society of St Pius X, uh, the, the school there, if you look at their own financial reports, they get over 80% of their money from various levels of uh, federal and state governments. Mm, grants, government grants government and things grants. like that. Mm. Archbishop Mannix was correct, wasn't he? Because if you are funded essentially by government, then you are owned by government. And this is part of the strategy. And if you are owned by government, then you teach what the government tells you to teach. I know someone who was attending the society school and showed me some of it was a young man and he, he said oh this Damo, look at what they're teaching us down mm. at school and he showed me this article and it said 400 million years ago when <laughs> and I was, I was no so i just sit, rip it up and throw it at you serious <laughs> now this is supposedly a catholic school mm. okay yes teaching catholic principles catholic morals catholic the faith Okay, because why send your kids to a Catholic school if you're not interested in learning about Catholicism? Right, you, well, you know, that's their branding. We're different, you know, we're, we're, we're Catholic. Send them to an yeah. SSPX school and you won't get that. So there you go. You know, 400 million years ago, 400 million years when ago. the dinosaurs were roaming the earth and the cavemen... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and, the, and the, the thing... Well, the thing is that obviously... I think, um, you know, Bishop Mannix has been proven right in, in his view, and, and that is that, um, that yes, uh, money does compromise their integrity. Mm. You get money from people, then you have to compromise your integrity to keep receiving it. And can you imagine if the SSPX took a principled stand there and said, well, we're not teaching that, there goes 80% of their money. Mm. Well, another thing that this, uh, this young chap told me was that, the teacher in one of the classes said, okay, this is what we have to teach you. So I'm going to teach you this, then I'm going to teach you the truth. <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to teach yeah. you this because this is what we need, this is what we're required to teach you. Mm. And then I'm going to, then I'm going to tell you the real story. Well, right. what, what is that? What, what is that for children? Well, it, it's, it's, it's teaching them to compromise with the world, isn't exactly, it? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, beep, boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's, mm. a, that's an SSPX fail. Mm, that's right. Now, in, by 1925, the clam was being widely accepted as being as American as apple pie. The Nation, uh, which was a publication, editorialised that the clan had become safe and uninteresting. Mm. Now, on August the 9th, 1925, Imperial Wizard Hiram W. Evans led a march of some 25,000 clansmen and Klan's women down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., in their greatest national demonstration and public show of strength as 100,000 spectators cheered. 
The 100% Americans knelt with heads barred at the Washington Monument to pledge allegiance to one country, one language, one school, and one flag. That's a big crowd, for uh, 100,000 people. And Dan, although the New York Times suggested that the Klan was in decline in 1926, so just 12 months later, its own statistics demonstrated that the nationwide cathophobe organisation was quite robust. The Times said that there were 100,000 Klansmen in New York who were fairly vigorous, quote-unquote. Mm. Principal strongholds were Suffolk and Nassau counties on Long Island, as well as Westchester, Putnam, Dutchess, Rockland, Sullivan and Ulster counties. The Klan also had considerable influence in Buffalo and had influence on elections in Binghamton and... <laughs> Binghamton. <laughs> Binghamton. Yeah. Binghamton. Binghamton. In mm. Buffalo and had influence on elections in Binghamton and Rochester. So, you know, they, they were obviously politically very powerful as well, not just out there, you know, stringing people up and blowing... <laughs> Blowing down the front doors of a Catholic church, Dan. No, well, that's uh, that's right, Dan. Well, obviously, they, uh, this terrorist organisation, the KKK, mm. um, reached the very footholds of power, and the Catholics suffered. Mm. And in nineteen twenty-six, there were there were also fifty thousand in Connecticut, one hundred and fifty thousand in Kansas, one hundred and fifty thousand in Missouri, sixty thousand in New Jersey, and two hundred and fifty thousand in Ohio. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, at one point. There were around four million Klansmen in America. That's huge. It is. You know, it's... and when you think about the nineteen twenties, what what was the population of America in nineteen twenty? Certainly a lot less than it is now. It's about three hundred and twenty million. The population of the USA in let's round it off to nineteen thirty was a hundred was one hundred and twenty three million people. Now one hundred and twenty three million people, four million were Klansmen. Put that on a scale. I mean, that would be, I mean, you could say roughly... About 11 million. Imagine 11 million Klansmen running around today. <laughs> yes. what, uh, America would not be the place to be. <laughs> no, especially if you're a Catholic, Catholic. or black. Or a black Catholic. Even. In Indiana, the public was scandalised to learn that D.C. Stevenson, former Grand Dragon of that state, was convicted of murdering a young woman and sentenced to life imprisonment. Commenting on Stevenson, the Times said that he, quote, was the boss of the Republican Party in Indiana and that through him the Klan was in control of offices and the process of government, unquote. Mm. Now, after the Klan extended itself to defeat Catholic Democratic presidential candidate Alfred E. Smith, it went into decline for two major reasons. First, the United States Supreme Court upheld the constitutionality of a New York anti-Klan law which required the Klan to give publicity to its regulations, oaths and memberships. And second, the Great Depression, which began in 1929, made keeping or finding a job and feeding the family far more important than hating Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it was, it, they, were, they were saying basically that, um, you know, we ha they had a lousy economy at the time and the mm. fact that, um, you know, it required the Klansmen to actually um, show their faces, so to speak. Maybe what will happen is there'll be a, there'll be a major economic collapse globally, mm. which means that Bergoglio and, and uh, Obama and all these other ratbags will actually uh, have to concentrate on putting food on the table rather than, rather than attacking Catholics. 
Well, well, that's true by that logic. And if you're George Bush, you might have to concentrate on putting food on your family, <laughs> as he once said. Did he? He did. Did he yeah. say that? Yeah, he said we oh, people have to put food on their family. It was a laugh a minute, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, old Georgie Bush. Ah, yeah. There's a character, old son. Mm. What? Yes. Now, check this out. Mm. Just to go back, Dan, uh, a bit uh, to, to the early 1920s. There was a publication called uh, the called World. It was a New York publication and exposed uh, the clan anti-Catholicism. Mm. Exposure of the protocols that we mentioned earlier, the protocols of the learned elders of Zion, yes. pretty well ended serious anti-Semitism. Uh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Although there were occasional attacks on Jews in such organs as the Searchlight, a Klan-influenced journal which lashed out at Jewish agitators who were plotting a race war to destroy the government and to overthrow all the Gentile governments of the world. Anti-Semitism. Yes. What is it? Well, they said it used to be someone who hated Jews and now it's just anyone that the Jews hate. So, so what's a Semite? Well, a Semite, I believe, is the racial group of Sem, which was uh, basically to say the Arabic racial mm. group. Mm. I don't think most Jews in Israel are actually Semites. Well, let's let's go to the trusty dictionary. Okay. A Semite, mm. a member of any of the peoples who speak or spoke a Semitic language, including in particular the Jews and Arabs. Yes. Now, are you anti-Arab? Dan? Um, no, no, David, I'm not uh, anti-Arab. Are you Are you anti-Jew? No, not anti-Jew. Okay. Um, I'm anti the Jewish religion, obviously, but... Mm, um, of course, yes. yes. And, and the uh, we're anti-Islam, anti-Jewish religion, but I don't get it. If a Semite is simply someone who speaks or spoke a Semitic language, including the Jews or the Arabs, just a member of those peoples, well... How does that make you anti-Semitic if you... Well, I don't get it. I think it makes the term ridiculously broad, doesn't it? Mm. Um, it's one of those terms that really doesn't mean anything other than to signal to other people that, you know, you are bad. Mm. It's um, yeah, it's pretty much, uh, pretty much a meaningless term, I think. Anti-Semitism, which is, you know, totally contrived, obviously. We don't mm. even need to go into that. But the truth of the matter is that they need it. They love it. Mm. Don't they? It has historically helped them to obtain leverage. Mm. Leverage through victimhood. It's an That's interesting right. concept, yeah. isn't it? The woe is me, chip on the shoulder, yeah. the world hates us, and so the world owes us. Yes, mm. it's, um, it seems to be that they play politics. Just part of the strategy, isn't it? Yes. So, look, Dan, there's, there's a lot more that we could discuss in relation to the clan, and no doubt there'll be more in the next few episodes one of the things that we didn't want to do was regurgitate the entire book through this series. So, no. you know, listeners, get the book. It is um, available to you for $10 US. Yes, $10 very good. US. Only $10. On the True Restoration website. What we've tried to do here is just take a, a few of the key points and I guess get you interested enough to to buy the book so you can read the book because you'll get more out of it than sitting here listening to to Dan, because Dan uh, doesn't know much. No, I'm a mean, know-nothing. Uh, we've covered chapters three and four. Chapter three discusses warring on the church. Chapter four is the craft and the clan. 
Dan, have you got anything else you'd like to add before we close the program? Yes, well, I just wanted to say that um, the book does provide numerous examples of how Catholics were made to play by different rules. Mm. You know, one holy Catholic, apostolic and, you know, persecuted is obviously the fifth mark. <laughs> but in so many areas of life, including the government school funding, although I don't agree with the, the whole idea of ever having to rely on government if you can avoid it, nonetheless, the book does point out the unfairness and double standards of the system as it applied to Catholics at the time. And... And you could infer that as it continues to apply to Catholics now. So. Mm. Well, it gets back to that separation of church and state, doesn't it, Dan? Which is a massive... Um, we mentioned this earlier. It's a, it's, it's a really big push on that uh, globally. And we're seeing that in, in America in particular at the moment. I mean, it's it's happening here. This continued separation of church and state, which essentially, you know, thanks very much to the Vatican II documents, freedom of religion, which is really about freedom from religion, the true religion, which is the doing away completely with spirituality in society, which is the key goal of the Freemasons. As far as the schooling system goes, we pay taxes. And if church and state work together as church and state should work together, it's part of God's plan to have those who take care of the souls, those who take care of the temporal aspects of life, I guess you would say. They're the ones that say, well, let's put the stop signs here. Mm. And the church tells us what's moral and what is not moral. Of course, that's not the case today because the state tells us what's moral and what's not. And of course, you know, recycling is moral, and if you don't recycle, then, you know, you're, you're anathematised. Yes, they talk about the separation of church and state and, and that even if you're not sending your kids to public schools, you still have to fund them. Mm. Um, you know, I would like a, a separation of the state and my, my, my taxes, uh, basically. Um, how about that as a concept? Uh, good luck with that. Yes. So you, <laughs> you start to go in circles, don't you, because... The bottom line is this, we can sit here and I can say, well, we pay taxes, so if we send our kids to a Catholic school, share and share alike, part of our tax money should come back to that school. But no, Mm. no, because you're still plugging into the system the way it is today. And until there's a reboot, a reset, if you like, where Um, church and state work together, my preference is church and, and the monarchy. Yes. Then that's when we've got a solution. And until that happens... The rest of it is moot, really. The discussions on yeah. funding and where all the money goes, really, who well, cares? At, at the end of the day, I mean, yes, unfortunately, we do have to still keep paying for the state, which you don't want to do, but you kind of have to do if, if you don't want to get thrown into prison. Mm. But we have to keep funding the state. But I don't think that's a, a reasonable argument to say that um, Catholic schools should be accepting government money. No. Again, if church and state were working together, as they should, Mm. and the prime ministers or presidents or whomever, if it was that sort of government, were were Catholic and maintained Catholic principles and so on and so forth, well, it wouldn't be an issue, but the situation is not the case. In fact, for those of us that homeschool, it'd be interesting to do the figures on how much we save. You know, I've got 10 children, so how much have we saved the Australian taxpayer? By homeschooling our children, because we don't get a cent to do that. Yes. But if we send our kids to a public school, how much would that cost the taxpayer for each of my children to go through school? Well, well, not only that, but in the long term, kids that do homeschooling are going to be more well-adjusted. They're going to be less prone to criminality. They're going to keep on saving the taxpayer money. You haven't met my children yet, have you? Uh, yeah, no, no. no. What's what's this? Well, three are in prison. Uh, okay. Four. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> That's yeah. true. I, I 
I accept all that. I guess what I'm saying, though, is in this world of liberty, equality, fraternity, mm. there is no equality. No. There never has been and never will be. No. Nor should there be. No. It's impossible. Uh, fraternity, the brotherhood, well, it should be the brotherhood of Christ. It's the mystical body that counts, not yes. this modernist... Naturalist yeah. Yeah, uh, system. And in terms of liberty, well, you will only find true liberty in the Catholic Church. Mm. Anything outside of that, you're in the hands of Satan. Yep. It's been an interesting discussion. Uh, a little bit dry in some regards, I think. But um, again, the idea is not to regurgitate the book, Dan. It's more or less just to give our listeners a bit of an understanding of, of the content, provide a bit more information on Freemasonry and, I guess, what, what would you call some of the plugins, uh, such as the, the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. We haven't sat here, we haven't provided copious amounts of evidence that suggest they are working together, but hopefully what we have done is probe the curiosity of some of our listeners yes. and uh, in the hope that they will perhaps do their own research and see what they come up with. We do thank our listeners very much. Our loyal listeners. Our loyal listeners. We thank those who have sent comments through that we've been able to read, such as yeah. the uh, the one today, and also those that have rung in. And, and I'm sorry, did you get that name, Dan? Because I kind of struggle with that. I, Sue, uh, I believe. Sue. Sue. Well, what, Sue, what, Sue, Sue was her nickname, yeah. yeah well, um, what, what was her true name? I was just got here on the computer. Yeah. Rukmi Himanjani, mm-hmm. Wapala Wapala, right. Patharena Halaji, mm-hmm. And a rudder, mm-hmm. Chaturanga, Wikramaniaki, Wikramaniaki, Mudi and Salagi. Goodness me. Oh, goodness. Wow. That's a heck of a name. That's huge. Imagine the size of the birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Just sign here, would you, madam? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three yeah. weeks later. Yeah, they could, they could charge for Lincoln's extra, I think. <laughs> Have you got another pen? <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for being with us, Dan. Well, that's okay, Dano. Thank you for being with me. And thank you, our listeners. Thank you. If you have any questions about anything you've heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Behind the Lodge Door is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Dan. And I am Damo. May, May God, God bless, bless you. you. So, was there a, you know, uh, an opposing party called the Know-Everythings? Um, uh, no. Um, that, 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 um, I don't think they allowed women in politics at that time. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, anyway. so, so, so there was the know-nothings, there was the know-everythings, and there was the in-between that we know a bit. Yeah, the know-a-bit. Know